Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 71st episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend, Adam, the European Goffin. Adam, how are you doing today? Uh, footy, Zach. It's coming home, footy. See, you don't get to say that because you are not an Englishman. Your country of origin participated in this tournament. So that's... that's- that's you're true. one. You're the one person on this pod who doesn't get to say. I can. I can say it satirically, <laughs> but you cannot say it. I have English because... blood. My father is English. I can say it's coming home if I want. I could be just echoing the sentiments of the England fans. It might not be my personal opinion, Zachary. Yeah, that is. Uh, that's true. I guess you can secede from your your country of birth and support support the three lions. That's. <laughs> You know, we, we always knew you had a traitorous side of you. <laughs> I've always been very clear on my stance on this. If it was Wales versus England, I'd support Wales. And if England or Ireland play with my dad or my mom, who were born in those two countries, I will support those two teams as well. But always always Wales first, and then my parents' countries of birth second. It's crazy. I didn't know your mom was Irish. You're just a... Uh... You're just a, a Scottish um, a Scottish stepfather or stepmother away from really covering the bases here. Who knows? I've got the red hair. You know, maybe that happened down back in back in history at some point, and it's I didn't true. know about it. So it's true. Adam Adam McGoffin is living somewhere. <laughs> in this world. Oh nice. man. Um, nice. Yeah. Well, we we are we are now just about halfway through Euros. Um, the Night of this recording is the night of Wednesday, June 30th. We're two days away from the quarterfinals beginning, two days or one day off from the end of the round of 16. Um, and what a tournament it has been so far. A ton of upsets, a ton of um, high octane performances and high scoring games, a very anti soccer tournament that we've seen so far in terms of the amount of goals that are, are being scored. But we will recap it all for you today, quickly recapping the group stages, um, and then more importantly, talking about uh, the round of 16 matches that just concluded in the round of eight that are coming up on the weekend, as well as our predictions for the remainder of the tournament. So, um, yeah. Anything else there, Adam, before we get started? No, just one one final thought there. I think it's got a very Greece 2004 feeling to it this tournament lots of upsets lots of kind of sleeper teams that are making it further than they probably should do um we'll get into that a little bit later in the pod but you know, i wouldn't be shocked if we if we see an unlikely team come through in the tournament this year i agree i agree with that um yeah a lot of a lot of feeling of kind of uncertainty as to, to what's going to happen next which is for a neutral supporter exactly what you want to see uh, before we jump into it uh if you enjoy our podcast remember to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on the Coming Home Newcastle channel. Our episode's obviously all titled The False Nines. Um, and then if you want to get in contact with us, you can find us at CHN underscore podcasts on Twitter or Coming Home Newcastle on Facebook. Now, Adam, let's quickly do that recap. Oh, actually, I, I always forget. I always take kind of one step too far. Um, <laughs> before we jump into the recap, Euros trivia. Um, we're going to have a trivia question of the week, just like last episode. We're going to keep it Euros themed for the uh, for the the theme of the episode. So, what do you have for us this week? All right. So, Euros trivia for this week, Zach. Your question today, sir. In Euro two thousand eight, who was voted Player of the Tournament? 
Okay. Yep. So All right. three three tournaments ago, I guess it should be 12 years, but because of COVID, it's 13 years. So back in 2008, how old were you in 2008, Zach? It was, well, it depends what, I guess in the summer of 2008, I was 13 years old. I just right. celebrated my bar mitzvah. Would you have been watching the Euros at that age? Were you a football fan back then? It's an interesting question. Perhaps I was like right around the origin of my my inter- my, my my football fandom as a, a spectator. That was like right around the same time I started watching Premier League. So maybe I don't know. I don't have any real memories of it. But four tournaments ago, yeah, there's a chance. Yep. All right. Well, we'll give you some clues halfway and towards the end of the pod as well. But I'm optimistic that you can get this one. You are. You know, you know your classic footballers, and obviously any player of the tournament would be a top-level footballer. So, Exactly. Okay, you know, I'm excited for this. I don't have any ideas off the top of my head, but hopefully can get closer as the clues continue. Um, okay, so, so let's jump into it. Let's quickly recap the group stages. We won't spend a ton of time here as we're, we're well past uh, those marks. Um, Group A saw Italy, Wales, Switzerland all advancing. Italy and Wales in the automatic promotion spots um, or automatic qualification spots. Switzerland coming through uh, in third place. And and just to remind folks, uh, the the reason that Switzerland came through is the expansion of the tournament this year had the four uh, best third place teams of the six groups Qualifying Switzerland was one of those four. Caused a lot of issues in my mind um, with the formatting of the tournament, with the scheduling, teams being able to play with kind of ulterior knowledge of um, the performances of others. And we, we saw at times teams playing perhaps where winning was not the best case situation for them. So talk about it a bit more after the tournament. I think that was kind of a, a big issue with the group stages. Um, but anyway... Italy and Wales going through Adam's beloved Welshman getting it to the round of 16 um, and then Switzerland coming through in third. Uh, anything on that, Adam, or should we hop it right over to group B? Uh, just proud of Wales for making it through. This is the second tournament in a row that they have um, gotten out of the group stages in the Euros. So very, very proud to, to see them achieve that again. And Switzerland, obviously a team ranked higher in the FIFA world rankings than they are. So um, a, a great achievement for Wales to make it out of that group. A lot of people had written them off before even a ball was kicked. Yes. Yeah. I proud of, proud of the Welsh Welsh lads as well. Um, so yeah, a, an interesting group, Italy coming out the, one of the three undefeated um, and untied first place teams, Italy on bit of a roll right now. I think it's 19 games in all competitions undefeated. So um, the Italians certainly making their case for a favorite for the tournament. Now, Group B, uh, we had Belgium and Denmark going through in spots one and two. They did not produce a third-place team. Finland was the team finishing in third, uh, but failed to make it through with a weaker goal differential than the other third-place teams. And fourth, we had Russia, um, a team along with Turkey, who came in fourth in Group A, kind of marked as one of those potential Underdog sides, not really putting it together. They did get a win, Russia, um, but ultimately it was only Belgium and Denmark coming through for Group B. Yeah, an interesting one when you think that Finland beat Denmark in that infamous first game of the tournament in that group, um, in Group B. So obviously the Christian Eriksen um, incident in that game, Finland had 
one shot on goal the entire game. Denmark had dominated that one, but Denmark are the team that end up sneaking second spot ahead of Finland. And then as a result of them having one of the weaker records, Finland, they fail to make it through. So unlucky for them, but, um, you know, Denmark, I think, have, have really found form in, in that group. Group C saw Netherlands and Austria going through automatically, Ukraine getting the third spot and going through as well. The darlings of the tournament, North Macedonia, are not able to pick up a point, although scoring two goals in the tournament, um, both scored, I believe, by journeyman Goran Pandev, 37-year-old North Macedonian international. Um, so putting up you know, some semblance of a fight, but again, it was Netherlands in first, Austria in second, Ukraine in third, uh, going forward from Group C. Yep, on to Group D, um, England's group. England and Croatia automatically qualifying here in first and second place. The Czech Republic do make it through in third place as one of the hot four highest third-placed teams, putting up a good performance in that final game against England, but ultimately falling a little short. And then Scotland finishing in fourth place, I think where most people expected them to finish in that, despite the home field advantage that they had at Hampton Park for, um, for their games that they played. Um, Good performance from England, professional performance from England to, to make it through the group. Not really doing a whole lot um, to write home about, but just keeping it very tight defensively and uh, comfortably making it through as group winners. Yeah, it was yeah a, a comfortable, if uninspiring, uh, win of the group by England. Um, and then, yeah, as, as Adam mentioned, Croatia and Czech Republic also going through as well. Group E saw a bit of a, a I think, a final a layout that nobody really expected. It was Sweden as the group winners, getting seven points from three games, uh, leading Spain, who they drew uh, in the first match of the tournament. Um, Spain going through in second in that group, and then Slovakia, the third-place team, unfortunately unable to get through after a 5-0 thrashing by Spain in the final game of the group stages. Uh, Poland, a team that uh, historically and chronically underperforms in international tournaments, coming in fourth in that group. So again, Group E, one of two groups that did not produce a uh, third place team going through in this tournament. Yep, despite Robert Lewandowski's three goals in the tournament, Poland still finished rooted to last spot in Group E and a relatively uninspiring Spain performance other than that final day victory over Slovakia, which was, I think, best known for the clangor from Martin Dubravka punching the ball into his own net for the first goal there. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to it in a minute. Uh, Dubravka then, um, you know, you, you could say uh, kind of outperformed for goalie clangers by uh, what the Spanish keeper ended up doing in the round of 16 match that they played just two days ago. Now, to wrap up the group stages, Group F, the um, kind of a pre-tournament marked group of death, France, Germany, Portugal, Hungary. Um, this the setup for the group ended as probably many people would have predicted. France in first, Germany in second, Portugal in third, Portugal having the goal differential and the points needed to go through, and Hungary, um, despite a hard-fought tournament, getting two points, which was quite impressive there, uh, finishing in last. So uh, the defending world champions, the defending Euro champions, and the uh, country that had won uh, the World Cup previous to France all going through in Group F. Yeah, I think I don't think the, the league table there 
or the um, the group table tells the full story in terms of how impressive Hungary were in that group. Everybody had written them off, and although they did finish in last place, two draws from that um, was was a pretty respectable tally for them. And they, I felt like they gave a good account of themselves. It's probably one of my favorite memories of the um, of the Euro so far was seeing them at home against France take a point. Um, and just seeing the full stadium, seeing the atmosphere that was created, and Griezmann even saying after that game that he thinks the reason that the French underperformed was just the intimidation at the full stadium after a year and a half of empty stadiums being played with COVID. Yeah, yeah, a nice tip of the cap to Hungary performing well, as you mentioned, in, in their, their national stadium in, in Budapest, uh, but unfortunately unable to go through a group with three big heavy hitters so from there we were through to the round of 16 um 16 clubs left matched up and this is another thing we'll, we can talk about after the tournament i think matched up in a way that that could be improved upon knowing who they were essentially going to play uh, before the the final match day took place but um what a thrilling round of 16 it was adam and we'll quickly run through the games here unfortunately we're going to have to start with uh, a match that probably will be one that you'd want to forget fairly quickly. Denmark coming out 4-0 winners over uh, your beloved Wales in the first game of the round of 16. The biggest win uh, in terms of goal margin for any match of those eight matches that have happened over the weekend. And really, I think the story of this match was we we just saw a team in Denmark that um, pretty much dominated from start to finish and, and just kind of had that killer instinct and um, seem to, I, I hate to say want it a bit more because I don't mean to throw knives at, at the Welshmen here, but Denmark really, you know, ha- had the wind behind their backs um, throughout this whole game. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, um, you know, obviously a 4-0 loss is, is disappointing. I thought we came out, we started that game pretty well. The first 20 minutes or so, I thought we were the better team and created some chances, but for the remaining 70 minutes, it was, it was literally all Denmark. Um, a very disappointing day all round. Um, for Wales, we were we were outplayed, we were outclassed. Um, no no excuses. I thought that Denmark were the better team. I think what going into the final um, the final games in Denmark's group, I actually I actually said of all the teams in their group, including Belgium, Denmark is the team I want to play the least because with the Christian Eriksen story, with the momentum they had behind them, the way they kind of went through in second place in their group on the final day, I just felt like nobody had more momentum and bit between their teeth than Denmark did going into that game. And and so it proved to be true. I think, you know, uh, another thing that I thought was um, not an excuse, but I think a real disappointment um, for, for Wales fans was this game was played in Amsterdam. Um, because of the decision around um, Brexit. Uh, now Wales is considered a non-EU country. So they have COVID restrictions that don't allow people to come into the grounds. They allowed Denmark fans to come in as long as they were in for less than 12 hours without passing a COVID test. So it was essentially like an away game, but with zero fans in the stadium for Wales. It was very, very disappointing the way that all panned out. And that's not, that's not sour grapes from a result or from a game standpoint. Again, Denmark thoroughly deserved to go through on the day. I just think when we look back at the tournament and the way that it was structured across all of the cities, this is possibly one of the worst times 
for it to be so spread out across Europe with all of the different COVID restrictions in place for different countries, from different countries. Um, Wales ultimately played four games in this tournament. They played two in Baku in Azerbaijan. They played, they came back to Rome for their final game against Italy that they lost 1-0 in the group stages. And then they went to Amsterdam. And then you look at the Englands and Scotlands who played all of their games in their home stadiums at Wembley and at Hampden Park. And it just, I don't know, something's not right there. You know, we've got a beautiful stadium at the Millennium Stadium. Scotland qualify as one of the playoff winners. We qualify through our group, our qualifying group as a natural second place team to actually get into this tournament. And I just felt like, why, why is why is that the case? Why, why couldn't these games have been played maybe at Wembley? Could we have played there? Why do we have to have all these fans traveling so far and in this stage not being allowed into the game? So less about the game, I guess, and more about some gripes with UEFA and the way that the tournament was structured, especially coming out of a pandemic. Um, but congratulations and tip of the hat to Denmark. They were the better team on the day. Um, I'm proud of Wales for qualifying for successive Euros and making it out of the group stages. Um, but certainly I think that Denmark um, proved they were the better team on the day and probably more likely to go further in this tournament than we would. A fair gripe it is, especially as you and I spoke about on our last episode, um, you know, the prior to, to 2000, uh, prior to the year 2000, they had never had Euros in, in multiple tournaments um, or excuse me, in multiple countries at once. So the fact that we've gone from from the whole tournament being hosted in one country to yeah, Wales having to travel thousands of miles to to play every match. There's there's certainly an aspect of, of tired legs that and, and kind of just jet lag even that, that might come into play. But um, regardless, Denmark through to the round of eight. Um, the the fairy tale kind of run continues for. Uh, the the nation that found a lot of supporters behind them following the uh, near tragedy um, of uh, the Christian Eriksen, um, you know, collapsing on the field in their first match of the tournament. Now, second match of the day on the weekend, Italy against Austria, uh, the first of three matches in the eight that have occurred in the past few days to go into extra time and. Italy, a team that had not given up any goals in the group stages, giving up their first tier against Austria, able to eventually come out 2-1 winners. I would say not the most convincing win in the world, but kind of reaffirming, uh, again, Italy's place as a a frontrunner in this tournament, considering the fact that, again, they have not dropped a match uh, in almost two years now. I think that's um, an interesting one for Italy. Definitely a a game in which I feel like we went into this one thinking this was going to be a an, a massacre at the hands of at the hands of Italy over Austria, and they surprised you. I'm, going into this tournament, how many Austria players could you name, Zach? Um, at least a handful: Arnautovic, Alaba, um. Austrian players. Uh, um, I guess I guess maybe those two, Alaba yeah. and, and Arnautovic, are the two main ones that come to mind. Yeah, exactly. And this is a team then that qualified ahead of the Ukraine, who I feel have like some more recognizable players there to get through to this. So they played with no fear in this game. They played in Rome, um, and I was I was thoroughly shocked with how this one panned out. Um, 
the fact that it went to extra time and Italy were held goalless um, in that game was 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 a shock to me. It was a shock to me that Austria got on the score sheet as well and ended that long clean sheet run that Italy had as well. Um, so I, I guess I'll ask you this question finally, Zach. Do you do you feel like this result has made you doubt Italy more in terms of them being serious contenders to win this tournament? Not necessarily. I I think that you know you you when, when you're playing in a, a tournament of what ends up being what is it six matches in total or seven matches in total to to come at victor there there typically will always be at least one or two that isn't the cleanest of wins and i think that perhaps it'll be that for italy if they make it all the way through now in a few minutes we'll we'll talk about their matchup against belgium in in the quarterfinals but i i think that what's been impressive about italy is historically they are this team that is very compact at the back it doesn't offer a lot going forward and we've seen a nice balance uh, between the two in this tournament they're they're scoring goals again they uh, scored seven goals in the group stage which i believe was more than any other club or uh, maybe second or third in in the uh, the group stages but um again i think you know a win's a win and this puts them in a really nice position and continues to build their confidence yeah i i think i think so too i think it's it would be we'd be remiss to doubt italy at this point if they've come through some some games and they've ultimately won all of the games that they've played in so continue continue to impress even though it was a little bit rough and shaky in this one ultimately grinding out the result is what i think is most important here on to the next game and the next day um netherlands against the czech republic um some might say a surprise here czech republic coming up two nil winners in this game and ultimately costing de boer his job as the coach of the dutch team yeah uh talk about a man who has somewhat stolen a career frank de boer i don't think has ever made a team that he has managed any better than it was uh when he took over netherlands were kind of my I don't know if you could go as far as saying they were dark horses because I think they were fairly highly ranked going to this tournament, but they were a, a kind of a sneaky pick of mine to make a deep run. And and they were, were fully and thoroughly um, outplayed in this one. The red card to Matthias De Ligt, obviously a huge moment in that game to, to change it. And um, a, a, a rightful red card, in my opinion, a handball to stop a clear goal scoring opportunity. But um yeah, it, it was one of those matches where you, when you see the best teams in the world and, and you see them go man down, oftentimes, um, you know, the, the elite teams and the elite managers are able to kind of restructure their their setup and, and try to weather the storm. And Netherlands completely unable to do this here. Um, Czech Republic cruising to the two goals they needed to, to win this match and um, making themselves another of those danger teams going into the quarterfinals. And uh, you never want to face a team with a chip on their shoulder that is getting some momentum, and that's exactly what Czech Republic are. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. When I think back to the Dutch, you, you'd mentioned that you thought they were kind of your sleeper pick for the tournament. I thought that I was actually quite impressed with how far they made it, and the reason I say that is because I feel like the Dutch don't really have an out-and-out -out striker in their team. You know, you think about the Dutch, the class Dutch strikers of the past, Ruud van Nistelrooy, you think about Dennis Bergkamp, some of the, the quality strikers that they've had, Patrick Clivert back in the day. And Memphis Depay 
in my mind, is not an out-and-out striker. I feel like he's more of a number 10 sitting in behind the strikers. I um, I actually went to college out in Lyon for a semester, as, he, as we mentioned on the pod before, and Depay played for Lyon before signing for Barcelona this summer, and, and he wasn't really played as an out-and-out striker. Um, so I just feel like they're they're lacking that kind of class finisher that they've had in the past. And they were reliant on goals really more from the midfield. Why now the most chipping in with goals The Pike did score um, some goals in this tournament as well. But I just felt like they got finally found out on that front and the Czechs are just a good, solid, consistent team. You know what you're going to get from them. Class effort. Patrick Schick is always good for a goal or two. Um, and credit to them. I thought they were deserved winners in this game. I agree that the game hinged on that delict red card. I thought that it really kind of swung in the Czech's favor after that, but I thought they were the better team from, from start to finish in this one too, even before the red card was, was issued. Mm-hmm. I think that's all a fair point. And you're, you're right. The, the Czechs are one of those teams that they, they know exactly what each of their roles are. Whereas with the Netherlands, you, you do have players who are kind of having to do, um, you know, step into roles that typically are maybe not what their their calling card might be. And I think Depay, you're right, a, a phenomenal player, but one that's not a, a number nine. Um, and again, Netherlands found out on Sunday. Now, the I, I'd say the most marquee matchup on paper of the weekend, the Belgium-Portugal match, you had Belgium, a team that a lot of people are, are marking as as you know, a contender, but also one that that might be kind of at their last chance of winning a a title with their golden generation against Portugal, the defending champions of the previous Euro 16 tournament. Belgium coming out victors, but not the I, I not the offensive juggernaut of a match that a lot of people I think wanted with you know all the three scoring names on the team sheets of Lukaku, Mertens, Ronaldo. Uh, Jota, Fernandez, and uh, this one ended up being a very, very chippy match, and and one in which you, you might say that Belgium a little lucky to go through. Yeah, I think I think so too. Yeah, it was a the goal. Let's start with the goal though. The goal from Thorgan Hazard was worthy of winning any game. It was a cracking finish from him, but it was the only shot that they had on target in the entire game. Portugal dominated this one, 18 shots to Belgium's five. Um, and again, that only that one shot on the target to the four that Portugal had during this game. I thought the Portuguese were a little bit dirty at times. There were some injuries picked up for De Bruyne and Thorgan Hazard. They're unlikely to start on in Friday's game in the quarterfinals, but they're remaining with the squad for the time being. Here's a controversial opinion for you, Zach. Belgium, I feel, are one of the most overrated teams in this tournament, they will not win the tournament. They won't even make the final. Um, I think this team is not good enough to go all the way. And there are a lot of individuals on it. I think Thorgan Hazard has been probably the most impressive of all the players on there. And Lukaku at times to me looks disinterested. Um, So we'll see, we'll see where I improve right in this one, but I think they were fortunate to get through here. Portugal were the better team in this one. And sooner or later, somebody's going to find them out. I can't say I want to agree with that because I, I do. I did mark Belgium as my tournament winner before this whole shebang began. And I've, I've doubled down on that with some, some financial wagers uh, of the <laughs> such. But 
you're right. I, I think that the important thing, the most important thing you mentioned there is the injuries to De Bruyne and to uh, Aiden Hazard. Um, Thorgan, Thorgan, Thorgan Hazard. Aiden Hazard yeah. is fit. Yep, Thorgan, um, Thorgan Hazard has the, has the, is carrying the injury going into that. He was the goal scorer, and then he went off injured in that game. That's right. Okay. Um, my mistake there. So the better of the Azard brothers of the two in this tournament, and then De Bruyne, the best player in the world right now. So that speaks for itself. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, an aged back line, uh, Roberto Martinez has constantly been questioned as a manager of Belgium. And I, I think that you're right. The individual quality of a number of their players oftentimes is what carries them through. I, I still think they have uh, the talent to go through, but it's a question of can they deliver an entire 90 minutes when the competition continues to, to raise. I will say, though, um, to play devil's advocate, a, a, a 1-0 win against the defending champions, I don't think you can, I don't think you can write them off as a, a title contender. If you can, if you can beat Portugal, uh, I think that you can, in theory, beat any team in this tournament. Germany beat them 5-2. I'll leave it there. And um, the last point I want to make on this one, Portugal... When I think about disappointing players in terms of expectations of them going into this tournament, a lot of people would argue that Kylian Mbappe might be the most disappointing player in terms of his performances in this tournament based on the expectations people had of him. I thought Bruno Fernandes had a shit Euros. I thought he was awful throughout. Um, Jota, I thought, was markedly better than him. Ronaldo chipped in with a few goals. Um, I thought Bruno Fernandes, based on the season that he had in Manchester United, I was really excited to see what he would do in the Euros, and he massively disappointed for me. Mm, I I agree with that. Yeah, I, I think that he was probably the most notable player to to be almost entirely absent from this tournament. And um, yeah, it, it was a just an overall disappointing performance across the board by Portugal. Um, okay, so so the latter half of the the four days that we saw the round of sixteen, Monday was. I think perhaps the most entertaining day in the history of the sport of football. And um, I, I don't know a ton of people that, that would vehemently argue with me on that. We started it out with Spain against Croatia. Um, Spain coming off that 5-0 win against Slovakia, a game that a lot of people probably thought was a little bit of a an offensive uh, anomaly by the Spanish and and boy did they back that up putting up five goals for the second consecutive game against Croatia um, but the story really to start here was the uh, the almost epic collapse that the Spanish had in the last 10 minutes of regular time up ten, three to one in the 82nd minute before Croatia stormed back and sent this one the extra time a lot to unpack here Adam but I think just to start, um, what what an entertaining spectacle we we saw on Monday morning. It was a it was a fantastic game. I had it on in the background and was trying to watch as much as I could. Um, <laughs> should we should we start with the own goal to end all own goals? I think so. Yeah. So a moment that is almost forgotten at this point. Uh, Unai Simone, the Athletic Bilbao keeper, who was marked as the Spanish number one going into this tournament, outdoing Martin Dubravka's howler in the group stages by um, mishandling a simple back pass early in the match to give Croatia a one-nil lead. Um, a lot of people probably at that point, you know, thought this. This keeper will never recover. It's it's Rob Green in 2010 all over again. But 
credit to Simone. I think after that goal, he was one of the men of the match for Spain and was really instrumental in getting them this victory. Yeah, I think that's a great point. He did he did certainly not let it um, have his head drop after that own own goal, which actually wasn't credited to him. It was credited to Pedri who played the back pass and he just missed yeah. it trying to control it, right? So he just completely missed the ball and um, it, it trickled back into into his net. Um, what was really interesting here was Croatia actually took the lead in this game, as you made, made the point. Spain went up 3-1, looked like they were cruising with eight minutes to go in normal time. And then Croatia come back and force extra time with a 3-3 draw in the 90 minutes. It looked like Croatia had all the momentum going into that. But in extra time, I thought one of the goals of the tournament for me with two feet, great control with his right and a cracking finish with his left for a much maligned player in Marata to make it 4-3 to Spain really set them on their way in extra time. Absolutely, yeah. The, I would say... The, the goal of the, the match of the eight was that finish by Murata. Um, and really, you know, a, a player who undergoes a lot of criticism, some of it fair and, and some of it well, well over the line, as has been documented uh, throughout this tournament. Um, but really a, a, a great match played by him, playing as that kind of complete striker, both holding a play bringing other, other players into the match and, and then getting that goal that was the eventual winner. Kind of a, a, a quintessential Harry Kane-like performance, just doing a lot of different things um, as the number nine. But yeah, I, again, I don't think anybody would have expected going to this tournament that Spain of all countries would be the most free scoring. Um, but we are seeing a lot of firepower uh, all across the board um, from, from Murata to uh, players in the midfield, Pedri chipped in, uh, Ferran Torres, or mm-hmm. Pedri didn't get a goal, but Ferran Torres got a goal in that one. A number of substitutes got on the <laughs> score sheet. And um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they can keep that up in any capacity in the round of eight game against Switzerland. Good point. And Pedri technically did get a goal. He just got it into yes. his own net for the first time. No, but- <laughs> <laughs> uh, so last, last point on this one. Are Spain contenders for this? Um, they play Switzerland, as we'll get to here in a second, in the um, in the last eight, and then they're going to meet the winner of the Belgium Italy game. Really, really tough route to the final there. But you know, is, is are Spain worth a sneaky bet on this one, Zach? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I would personally make the argument any team to get to the final eight should be considered a team that can that can win it all and spain is certainly no exception um you know playing a a very solid croatia side that i think a lot of people would say plays even better when they are kind of either facing the game or um playing against a a slightly more attack-minded team and it's been doing what they have to do to win so um definitely would be in my opinion one of the one of the front runners to win it all right now I like that. Good confidence in them there. Okay, on to the um, the French versus Switzerland. So this one was another game, and it almost went exactly the same way. I thought this was very curious here. Um, Switzerland took the lead in this one, went 1-0 up, just like Croatia did. Um, France came back to be cruising at 3-1 up with about 20 minutes to go, and the Swiss, in regular time, pulled it back to 3-3 and forced extra time. The difference here between this game, though, and the Spain game is that neither team was able to score in extra time, and we got to penalties in this one. 
Um, and it was quite the spectacle to watch um, the world champions come up against a plucky Swiss team in this one, wasn't it? Yeah, this was this was the again the, the second half of one of the greatest days in football history. Um, but this was the match of the tournament, without a doubt. Um, every single goal, all six that were scored between Sp- uh, France and Switzerland, really fantastic goals. Starting off with Harris Ferovic uh, putting up Switzerland up one nil. He then saw Kareem Benzema get two goals in five minutes, both of which were delightful pieces of play in the first by Benzema uh, and the second really um, kind of Antoine Griezmann drifting through the defense and, and putting it on a plate. And then Paul Pogba scoring a classic Pogba curler from about 32 yards out um, and only for Switzerland to come back and, and tie it, as you said there. Um, the penalty kicks, obviously the thing that most people will remember, um, namely because Switzerland dispatching all five of their pens and France getting their first four before uh, you know, local hero and and wonder child, uh, God to be, Kylian Mbappe, the one penalty saved of the 10 taken, um, and really not a particularly good penalty, putting it at a, a very comfortable height for Jan Sommer. Um, Jan Sommer, what, what an absolute legend he is, by the way, uh, for Switzerland, but you mentioned it before when talking about Bruno Fernandez, Kylian Mbappe, largely considered to be kind of the disappointment of the tournament, not chipping in with any goals, I believe, for France in this one, and and being fairly absent from play in, in a number of minutes. But I, I certainly would love to kind of turn it toward the Swiss for a large amount of credit, never seeming to know when to give up in this one, and, and getting their just rewards at the end. Yeah, I think you made some great points there. I think the one thing we didn't cover was the way that this game kind of panned out at 1-0. Um, Switzerland actually had a penalty to go 2-0 up. Um, mm-hmm. Missed that penalty. Great save from Lloris for the penalty. And then within two minutes, France had gone down the other end, scored a goal. Two minutes later, they score a second goal, and they look to be cruising in this one. One other thing I want to um, really give a shout-out to in this one, as, as disappointing as Mbappe was, I've been very critical of Paul Pogba um, in the past, um, mostly when playing for Manchester United. And I thought in this tournament, he was excellent. Um, cracking goal from him in this, but not just the goal that he scored in this game. I think in general, his completed passes, his distribution, his just overall contribution to the France team was excellent. I know a lot of Manchester United fans would be asking the question, where's that Paul Pogba on a weekly basis for our, our club? Uh, but I thought another wonderful performance and tournament from him. He didn't deserve to be on on the losing team in this one. But there has to be a winner and has to be a loser. Switzerland, credit to them. They they put in an incredible shift in this game. And I thought they were, you know, um, they were the underdogs, right? I think if you weren't a France fan, you were probably rooting for Switzerland in this one if you were a neutral, um, just to see the underdogs come through. And a cracking penalty shootout. Shame for Mbappe, but Jan Sommer with all the plaudits in this one for the win. Absolutely. Absolutely. So onward goes Switzerland. First time in, I think it was 84 years that they have beaten France in any competitions. And the first time ever that Switzerland has gone to the quarterfinals of a major tournament. So pretty incredible uh, to see that run from them. Uh, shout out to Fabian Scher, center back from Newcastle United, who scored a penalty in that game. We We still have uh, some hope for Newcastle to, to be standing at the podium at the end of the tournament. Is 
is Fabian Cher the natural penalty taker for Newcastle, assuming that he's in the starting lineup next season? I don't see any reason why not. If we get any penalties <laughs> next season. <laughs> I mean, previous penalty takers that we've had, Joe Linton took a penalty last season and scored, missed in the in the Carabao Cup. We have Matt Ritchie, who has not been the most consistent from the spot. I say if Cher's in the team, let him let him take a penalty. That was definitely put away by him in that penalty shootout. Absolutely. Yeah, good point. So uh, I guess a good transition here to the final day, the final two matches. Um, England-Germany was the, the first match of the day yesterday. I, I watched most of this match while I was sitting in the Denver International Airport uh, before flying to New York City. Unfortunate to not catch either of the goals, but uh, I think as a lot of people expected, this game starting out very, very chippy, uh, both teams missing a number of uh, you know fairly good opportunities, but nobody really... Uh, Nobody really kind of taking this game by the scruff of the neck um, until Raheem Sterling decided to do exactly that, um, getting the first goal in this match. A really nice team goal started by Sterling, ended by Sterling on a cross from Luke Shaw. And from there, England kind of dominated the last 20 minutes or so, getting a second goal from Harry Kane, finally breaking his duck in the tournament and uh, exercising a number of demons from from past years in this quote-unquote storied rivalry between <laughs> England and Germany. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on this one, Adam? Yeah, I mean, you, you, I think you just said it. This is the first win at a major tournament for England versus Germany since they won the World Cup in 1966. If that isn't a good omen, I don't know what is. Uh, a couple thoughts on this game. Raheem Sterling, third goal of the tournament, potential golden boot winner for the tournament here if he continues the form that he's in. He's very much gone from villain to hero in this tournament. He came into it after an underwhelming Champions League final performance for Manchester City. A lot of people clamoring for Jack Grealish to start in his place over Raheem Sterling. And he's very much silenced his critics. He's had an excellent tournament. Um, he's been he's been absolutely at the at the core of everything good that England have done from an attacking standpoint here. And I'm glad that he's making people eat, eat, eat their words. Um, I, thought, I thought he's had a, a great game and a great tournament so far and is deserving some of the plot that's being thrown his way right now. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. I think that Sterling, the most unfairly maligned player by English media and English fans alike, um, and to, to put up the consistency in the performances that he's put up, uh, for for his country, a country that I dare I dare say does not always appreciate him as much as they should. Um, yeah, really, really hats off to him and and being that spark plug, being the the kind of you know the the person who drives that attack forward. The one big criticism of England so far in the tournament is just not seeing a lot of cohesion in their attack, despite having you know an overwhelming number of attacking players. Uh, we just saw a player who's barely played any minutes for, for England in this tournament go for 75 million pound transfer between Borussia Dortmund <laughs> and Manchester United. So just speaking to, you know, the, the amount of quality England has up top, uh, Sterling has been the pretty much the only consistency up there. Uh, and yeah, again, England getting a massive win of, uh, <laughs> I, I, I laugh when I say a storied rivalry because I think that it's not that storied of a rivalry to Germans as it is to the English 
uh, supporters, but a massive, massive win nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. A, a couple of final thoughts on this one. Nice to see Harry Kane get a goal finally. Um, that, that, that was really good for him, I think, coming into form at the right time for them. Pickford made a few great saves. It pains me to say it in this game. You know that England have had four clean sheets out of four so far in this tournament. They've yet to concede a goal in this tournament, England have. So they continue to defensively play really well. And for me, man of the match in this one was absolutely Harry Maguire. Um, I thought he made them tick at the back. He played out really well from the back. They looked so solid, save for that Muller one-on-one that they had when they were 1-0 that he should have scored but but put wide of the post. That was really the only clear chance for me. Um, there, there, was a, there was an opportunity in the first half as well for Timo Werner, but you can guarantee that he's going to miss. Um, so, you know, in England deservedly through, I think. And it's not the most pretty football that you'll see. To your point, there are a lot of attacking players in this team who are not being given free reign to go forward and attack. But by God, has it been effective so far um, to, to beat England 2-0 in a game where there's a lot of demons that you got to exercise to your point, Germany have certainly got the better of these matchups in the past um, was, was phenomenal. You know, there were definitely players thinking back when, when they weren't playing themselves, but I'm sure they watched it on TV in Euro 96 when England went out to Germany had home field advantage um, in Euro 96 and went out on penalties. They did not want it to go there and they grinded it out. They took their time. They took their chances and are deservedly into the last eight. Absolutely. Yeah. Can't, can't say that one team who has not performed extremely entertainingly has a shot and not say that England has, uh, does not have a shot as well. So um, England through to the final eight, Southgate has taken them to a semi and a quarterfinal so far in the, in the last two major tournaments. So we will see what they can do there. Now, final game of the of the round of 16, kind of the most underwhelming uh, in terms of star power, Sweden going up against Ukraine, um, a, a fairly drab match through and through the first goal coming from um, one of the few players in this match that holds somewhat of, of star appeal, Alexander uh, Zinchenko, the Manchester City man, putting uh, Ukraine ahead before the game was tied by Sweden. It was Seb Larsson who scored it? No, it was... Um, Forsberg. Forsberg, the mm-hmm. RB Leipzig lad. Um, and really, the, the talking point for this one, the, the thing to remember, Ukraine uh, in extra time scoring the second latest goal in Euro's history, uh, a goal in about the 120, 120 minutes and 35 seconds into this match getting the win and going through to the round of eight. So uh, Ukraine, a team that I don't think anybody would have picked to be a quarterfinalist is exactly that. And credit to them. They'll be facing England on the weekend. Yep. Artem Dovbik of SC Dinipro 1 was the goal scorer in the 120th plus additional time minute, taking off his shirt, celebrating with the bench to reveal his sports bra. He scored the winner in padded time, Zach to take the Ukrainians through to the next round and the quarterfinals of the Euros. The joke even better the second time. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm glad first time I'm for glad our listeners. First time for the listeners. Uh, but yeah, I, not, not a ton of talking points there. Big win for the Ukraine. Um, I'm proud of the, you know, the small amount of heritage I have uh, from the, the former Eastern Bloc. So 
up the Ukrainians against England. That's all I can say. Yep, not many last 16 games in a major tournament played between two teams whose home kits are yellow. So there. Someone had to say it. Um, okay, Adam, before we go to our commercial break, we have the first clue of your Euros trivia. I'm interested to hear this one because I'm, I'm still a little bit in the dark as to who the player of the tournament was in 2008. Sure. Uh, okay, so reminder, player of the tournament in 2008 was the question in Euro 2008. And your first clue, Zach, is this player played for the Spain national team in Euro 2008. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. That does narrow it down a little bit. Um, so I have to have to give some thought to that. And so will you, our listeners, during our first commercial break. We will be back in just a moment. All right, we are back with the latter half of the False Nuns. This is episode seventy-one coming for you, ha- coming to you halfway through the European tournament now. On to the last eight. We keep saying the matches for uh, the quarterfinals all occurring on Friday and Saturday of this upcoming weekend. We have Belgium against Italy, Switzerland against Spain on the left side of the bracket, and on the right, Ukraine against England and the Czech Republic against Denmark. Uh, Before we go into our predictions for those matches, Adam, kind of give us a rundown here of what we are looking at in terms of let's say pre-tournament expectations uh, via FIFA rankings for the remaining eight teams. Yeah, I did some homework here because I thought it was quite interesting. You look at the draw, right? And the left side of the draw, you've got Belgium versus Italy, and then you've got Switzerland versus Spain. So obviously we'll we'll see who progresses through to the semifinals in that one. On the right side of the draw, you've got Ukraine versus England and Czech Republic versus Denmark. So if you look at the FIFA rankings of those teams, the highest ranked team remaining in the tournament is Belgium, who are number one in the world currently. England are fourth place in the world rankings. Spain sixth, Italy seventh, Denmark tenth, Switzerland thirteenth, Ukraine twenty fourth, and the Czech Republic in fortieth place in the FIFA rankings. So the left side of the draw sees the first place ranked team against the seventh ranked team, and then you have the thirteenth ranked team playing the sixth ranked team. So all four teams in the top fifteen in the world. The right side of the draw, Ukraine 24th in the world, playing England 4th in the world, and the Czech Republic 40th in the world, playing Denmark 10th in the world. So when you look at kind of the remaining eight teams, um, they basically the 7th and 8th teams are all on the right side of the draw in terms of the weakest teams. And then you just seem to have kind of a lopsided um, bracket, if you will. Um, certainly, I think that the stronger side of the bracket and the more appealing games and enticing games are on the left-hand side. If England do not make the final of this tournament, they will consider this a major failure for themselves, I think. Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty fair, especially coming off the win against Germany, which is you know this resounding and and historic victory it will all be for naught uh if they don't at least get to the final so i i don't think that's an overstatement by any means no it's interesting i was talking to my dad today about this and he had the gall to complain that the ukraine game that they will be playing this saturday is being played in rome and there's the potential for that to be the only game that england play in this tournament that is not in wembley there's rumors that the final might get moved from wembley because of covid issues um 
But as of right now, the semi-final and final, if England were to progress that far, would be played at Wembley. And I then told him and went into my rant about Wales and all of the different places that they had to go and play. And you know what? As you should. They're playing the 24th ranked team in the world in Ukraine, who are certainly exceeding their expectations in terms of where they are. If they cannot beat that team, regardless of where that is, um, they don't deserve to be in the semifinals of a major European tournament. So um, let's, let's kind of go into predictions, if we will, Zach. With those four games in the quarterfinals, who do you see progressing through on either side of the draw to the semifinals? Yeah, um, cool. Yeah, I guess let's visually look at the bracket. Let's go left to right here. Uh, Belgium, Italy, that, in my opinion, is the hardest to predict um, of these matches. I, I, My heart wants to say Belgium. I, I think that it will be difficult to really determine um you know how confident that prediction is until we find out the uh, the lineups or at least the the injury status of de bruyne and hazard um going into that match you said uh, earlier in the pod doubtful to start but but not ruled out by any means both mm-hmm. uh, picked up an injury in that match and and they've had uh, about four days to recover i assume that that team is undergoing as light training as possible um, because another team that has traveled a lot and, and kind of been had these taxing matches. Um, I think Belgium does have a shot in that one. I, I think right now with the questions around the injuries, Italy has to be um, kind of the, the, the probable favorite. But it, again, I think that one is about a flip of a coin right now. What, what do you think? I think Italy goes through in that one. I think that Belgium will finally get found out in this game. I think Italy had a little bit of a scare in the last one. And I think they'll come out guns blazing in this one. Um, I see. I see this probably being a comfortable three-one win for Italy. Okay, very good. Um, Switzerland, Spain. I, I mean, I guess when you get to the, the the quarterfinals, none of them should be easy to predict. Um, you you want to say Spain right off the bat? That I mean, they're scoring in buckets, but uh, Switzerland is a team that is playing with absolute reckless abandon. Doesn't seem have any fear. Uh, in their minds. I, I almost wish that this wasn't the matchup uh, for a quarterfinal. I, I kind of wish to, that Switzerland had, uh, you know, a bit easier of a draw because I've, I've really been enjoying seeing them uh, play. But, you know, as they always say, you have to beat the best if you want to be the best. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'd like to hear your opinion on this one before I share my own, Adam. Yeah, I think Spain will progress on this one. Interestingly, this one is actually being played in Russia, in St. Petersburg. So um, there's no home field advantage for any team, actually, in the last eight. Um, so this one will be quite interesting just to see kind of like whether whether or not that becomes an intimidating environment for the Spanish and the Swiss make it kind of like more of a home game for them. I, th- I think they're going to be turning out in droves, just given that they don't really get to the, the stage of a major tournament very often. So we will see. Um, I, th- I think Spain will come through here, though. I think we're looking at an Italy-Spain semifinal. Okay. Yeah, I I, I think that's a, a fairly likely situation uh, to see. I'm I'm going to call a Switzerland victory now. I, I want it. It's a heart call. It's not a brain call. <laughs> we're going to say that the Swiss the Swiss continue this run, and our our, our golden boy Fabian Cher gets another crack at it. There you go. Okay, so Switzerland, Italy in the semifinal for you. Spain, Italy in the semifinal for me. What about the other side of the draw? Let's start with Ukraine, England in Rome on Saturday. 
Yeah, I mean, this, this I think, is, like you said, it'll be a massive disappointment if England doesn't win this match. I, I think they should. They they have the quality to win uh, this match against Ukraine. Um, Ukraine, a team that really hasn't, you know, of, of all the teams left, they, they've maybe had the easiest road uh, to this point uh, in a group of Netherlands, Austria, and North Macedonia, and then playing Sweden in the, the round of 16. I, I just don't think they have enough to, to beat England, a team that, as you said, has not given up a goal uh, in Euros yet. And Sweden, not a team that is really knocking on the door offensively. Um, or excuse me, Ukraine, not a team that's knocking on the door offensively. So I have England going through probably a comfortable 2-0 victory. Yeah, I, I agree in this one. I think that um, England will have too much for Ukraine and will advance. The final game then is the Czech Republic against Denmark in Baku on Saturday. This one will be an interesting one. Denmark, as I mentioned, with the most momentum in the tournament. Um, coming up against a stubborn Czech Republic side, who got 40th in the world, placed 10th in the world here. 40th for the Czechs, 10th for Denmark. Do you see this one going to form and Denmark winning, or do you think um, Czech Republic have done enough so far in the tournament to convince you that there may be a surprise or a shock here? I think this is maybe the most tactically interesting match for me because you have two teams that you know that aren't particularly known for any uh, kind of historical style. You know, consistently with Spain, you typically know what you're going to get. You're going to get a lot of counterattacking, a lot of winger play with France, a lot of flair with the Germans, a lot of that more compact and disciplined game. But the Czech Republic and, and Denmark, two teams that, that don't really have that longstanding international identity. Um, I, 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 think that, I think that Denmark will go through. I think they can continue to ride the momentum. Uh, Dolberg has been one of the, the players of the tournament for me. And um, mm -hmm. typically in an international tournament, you have a few players that kind of break out and make their name. Dolberg is certainly one of them in, in this match. And I, I think that Denmark just has enough to, to get through here, but uh, I think this is a razor thin margin as well. Yep. I think I, I agree. I actually was torn on this one. I, I did end up eventually going with Denmark too, just because of the momentum and how impressive they were against Wales, but Czech Republic were equally as impressive against the Netherlands. So this was a tough one, but I, I agree. I think it's going to be England, Denmark in the semifinals on the right-hand side and Italy, Spain on the left-hand side of the draw. Um, you, you disagree there. It's going to be Italy versus Switzerland. So obviously these are hypotheticals from this point onwards. Who do you see advancing to the final and being your eventual champion of the Euro 2020 tournament? This is this is a tough one, Adam. This is a tough one because I, I again, it's it's mind versus heart. Um, I, I think that with you know it, again, it, unless Belgium is at full strength and is able to knock off Italy, I, I think that Italy probably gets through Switzerland to get to the finals on the left side of the bracket. Um, I. I want to say that Denmark beats England. I don't want to see England winning this tournament uh, or getting to the finals. I don't particularly like England. Um, and I apologize to a vast majority of our, our listeners who are, are English uh, folk. But um, it, probably England, Italy in the finals. Um, and from there, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to predict. It's tough. I, I, I'll say that if Italy can get through Belgium, I think they win the tournament. If Belgium can get through Italy, 
I think they will win the tournament. Yeah, that's a pretty good pretty good bet. Uh, I'm agreeing with you in that I think it will be England, Italy in the final. And if it's at Wembley, I think England will, will take it home. Um, it, it, I think it would be amazing to see England win, win the Euros. It would be the first major tournament I've ever seen a home nation win in my life. Um, I think that would be awesome for, for the sport. So um, uh, that, that's my prediction. England will win the Euros. I've actually been, as, as we've said in the previous pod, I've been saying Italy pretty much Italy or France, I'd said, most of the tournament. And I think Italy will make the final, but I just see England coming out on top in that. That's a fair prediction. Yeah, I think I, I think that's a really good point there. I think the, the variable of it being at potentially at Wembley could be enormous. Um, yeah, that, that was huge against Germany. You could, you could kind of tell um, in that match. So, yeah, we will see. We'll see, you know, how many we hit, how many we miss. I, I doubt that we... You know, go, uh, what is it, eight for eight with our predictions here. Yep, and if they do win it, Gareth Southgate's be knighted by the Queen within a year. Sir Gareth Southgate. I can't argue with that. That's, you know, <laughs> give, give, give the man a title. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, so um, that wraps up our... Um, our Euros recap and our predictions for the remainder of the tournament. Uh, we just have 10 and 90 to round out the pod here, and then I'll give you the Euros trivia answer before the end. Would you like to go first or second for 10 and 90 this week, Zach? Um, I think we're, we're, we're kind of limited to one option here, Adam. In, 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 my, in my ever-moving life going coast to coast, <laughs> I, I, I forgot on, on writing my uh, 10 and 90 for the week. So um, why, don't, why don't you go ahead? I will go first then with that in mind, Zach. No problem. Um, so I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I was preparing for 10 and 90, I wasn't sure what to make my theme this week. And when I was doing a little homework for the last eight and looking into the FIFA rankings, there were some things that just kind of surprised me and shocked me. So the 10 and 90 theme for this week for you is FIFA rankings. And I want you to tell me who's the higher ranked team of the two teams that I offer up for you. So you got a 50-50 chance to get each one right. Okay. All right. All right. Sounds right up. Your first two teams, Scotland and Australia. Which one is the highest ranked team in the FIFA World Rankings? I bet it's Scotland because I I think that the World Rankings have something to do with opposition, and there's no way that Australia is playing teams that are highly ranked either. So I I think Scotland will pip that one. Um, it's a very close one, and I picked them for that reason, uh, but you're incorrect. Australia are the 41st ranked team in the world, and Scotland are the 44th ranked team in the world. So three places. Do you, do you, do you know how that ranking is determined? Not at all. It's an absolutely crazy system, and there's probably like crazy logic to it. Um, but you think about like the teams that they play in the, um, is it the Oceanic kind of leagues that they yeah. play down down there um they don't play against that those high quality teams um but scotland obviously have not qualified for a major tournament before this one in 23 years so are deservedly a little bit lower in the rankings there so 41 and 44 for this one this one okay. um i'll tell you that a single place in the rankings separates these two teams and your two teams are the republic of ireland and northern ireland it's got to be, got to be Northern Ireland. It's got to be, it's got to be my Northern Iron on this one. 
is incorrect. 47 is the Republic and 48 is Northern Ireland. What, what, a, what a fall from grace we have had since qualifying for, for uh, Euros <laughs> five years ago. It's a bad start for you, Zach. It's over two. All right, question three. Yeah, Finland and Iceland. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I'll go with Finland simply because they qualified for Euros. 54th place, Finland. 52nd place, Iceland. So Iceland's slightly higher no sense. in this, the FIFA rankings. This, I mean, this I, is ludicrous. It's not, there's no logic behind this. It's just FIFA's rankings based on performances, I guess. All right. Um, sure. Question number four. Over three. Doing well. Uh, North Macedonia or uh, you, would, you would say Qatar. I would say Qatar. I mean, North Macedonia, I'm going to just keep with the logic there that North Macedonia has qualified for something. <laughs> 62nd in the world, North Macedonia, and 58th in the world, Qatar. So that, grinds, that grinds my out, gears a little bit. Struck out completely. Okay, the last one is a toss of a coin here. There's one place between these two. There's no real link between these teams. Tunisia and Peru. Peru. Give me Peru. <laughs> oh for five, my friend. Twenty-sixth in the world, Tunisia, and twenty-seventh in the world, Peru. Twenty-six. Yeah, isn't that wow. crazy? Tunisia? Twenty-sixth in the world? That's oh, unbelievable. When you think when you think that yeah. Ukraine are twenty-fourth in the world, Czech Republic are fortieth in the world, Tunisia are twenty-sixth in the world. Jesus. That's <laughs> This is a rightful category for me to go over five on. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Well, sir, you completely struck out. The only way you can redeem yourself is with the Welsh word for this week. And yeah, that's true. It is spelt G-W-R-O-L. Gettle. It's gural, and it means brave, as in it was very brave of you to try and get the answers to these questions correct, but you failed miserably today, my friend. But, but, but my bravery was was unsound. Um, it's 11. Yeah, that was a that I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt here. You probably would have put up a better showing had it been earlier. Your time. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Uh, yeah, again, and I, apologies for no response, 10 and 90. I'll be back with, with, some, with some bangers next episode in our post- Euros recap. Uh, but yeah, let's let's wrap up with clue two and answer for the Euros trivia. I want to see if I can if I can get close to this one. Exactly. So fortunately for you, you do have a chance to redeem yourself here with Euros trivia. In Euro 2008, which player was voted player of the tournament? First clue, halfway through the pod, we mentioned he played for Spain in this tournament. Your second clue is he's currently a manager and manages Al Sad in the Qatar Stars League. Lots of shouts out for Qatar this, this podcast. Yeah, and, and that player will be would be Xavi, the former Barcelona man. Oh, how did you know that? I'm very impressed. Because I knew that he managed that team. I was thinking it was going to be Xavi or Carlos Puyol, and that, that, that gave it to me. 
I th- I was hoping you'd get like Xavi and Iniesta were the two players that were like just the heartbeat of the Spanish midfield during that time, and I was hoping I would trick you into picking one over the other. But did you truly know that he manages Al Sadd mm-hmm. in Qatar? Good for yeah, you, absolutely, because wow. he ended his career in in that area of the world, and I knew that he continued managing there. Yeah, he's been managing them since 2018, so he's been there for a few years now. So congratulations, you've redeemed yourself with Xavi Hernandez. Well done. That was big. That was big. It's a big moment for me. <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely. Well, yeah, again, everyone, the matches for the Euros this Friday and Saturday um, afternoon for myself. It depends, I guess, what time of day, depending on where you are listening to this pod from. But it will be a, a great last few matches in the tournament. And, yeah, I believe that our next pod will come out right after this concludes. So we'll do a full quarterfinal, semifinal, and finals recap, as well as the awards for the tournament, what we agree with, what we disagree with, uh, should be a good one. Yeah, should be a good one indeed. And I think in that episode, we'll start to transition a little bit back into uh, thinking about the upcoming Premier League season as well. Just a couple of uh, notes to close on here. It's been an eventful day in the Premier League today. A big signing that, as Zach alluded to earlier, Jaden Sancho making the move from Borussia Dortmund. Um, over to Manchester United, one of the most drawn-out transfers, I think, in history in terms of getting him to Old Trafford. And then on the managerial front, two huge appointments today. Um, Nuno Espirito Santo, ex-Wolves, finally being appointed as Spurs manager. Um, Curious to hear what your dad thinks about that in just a second. And then one of the more interesting managerial appointments that I've seen in my time following the Premier League, the Liverpool legend, Rafa Benitez, former Newcastle manager, moving to the other side of Merseyside and going ahead to take over the managerial job at Everton Football Club. Quite the controversial appointment there, and I think we'll probably get more into that as as time progresses. But any any just closing thoughts as we as we wrap up the pod on any of those moves today? I'll give you a, a quick soundbite on each of those three. Um, Classic Manchester United spending $75 million on a problem they do not have in goal scoring goals. Um, but but, 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 but Jaden Sancho, Zach. But Jaden Sancho. Absolutely. I totally <laughs> agree with you. Most, I, think, I think it's a ridiculous signing. I agree. Scored, scored the second most goals in the Premier League this year and had the worst goals allowed in the top four. So why don't we get a tricky winner to, to solve all of our <laughs> Of problems. Um, good signing for Spurs going from Portuguese to Portuguese. Uh, I, I like that. Nuno, I, I was sent a meme today from a friend uh, that it, it said Jose Mourinho and had a picture of a double-decker bus and then it said <laughs> Nuno Spurgeon said it had a picture of a slightly sleeker bus and I thought that that was, that was, pretty, that was pretty excellent. Um, the, the other thing I noticed, I actually looked at this when the appointment got made. There are currently zero Portuguese players playing for um, for Spurs. How long before Nuno just starts like buying every Portuguese player under the sun and bringing them to White Hart Lane? I was going to say, currently is the, the operative word in that sentence. Uh, and then for Rafa, yeah, that this one is going to be a wild one to, to to follow. Like you said, so much history with Liverpool giving them their first Champions League title uh, and now going to their their rivaled club. So we'll see. We'll see if he can be the one to actually, actually get Everton above 
the Everton Cup every year. I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. see what happens. I read a great Soccer on Sunday article today, satire page, um, shout out to Soccer on Sunday, um, about the Benitez appointment. And it was a quote, quote unquote, from Rafa saying, I'm looking forward to um, to winning winning the league, obviously not with Everton, the club that I manage after the stepping stone in my career. <laughs> That's good. I like that. That uh, is so solid. I'm with a team that can finally compete for 10th place in the league. <laughs> yes, exactly. There it is. Always taking a shot at Everton. We're always, we're always good for that. Um, cool. Well, yes, enjoy all of the matches on the weekend, y'all, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right. Until next time, Zach. Footy. Footy.